the Rockefellers, the the Rothschilds have been chipping away at uh, the our welfare state at, our, at the mixed economy, and now we've got this war raging with uh, in Ukraine with the Russians, which isn't really anything to do with Ukraine. It's two different systems fighting. It's a it's a mixed economy uh, system where the government owns and controls the infrastructure and runs it uh, pretty much at cost for the public. Uh, okay, so there are a few exceptions to that, but basically it, it's infrastructure government. You know, the government makes sure the railways run, the water runs. Uh, and in the West now, we've just got rampant finance capitalism where the political parties, the press, the infrastructure is all been uh, uh, up for sale and uh, to the highest bidder and sometimes uh, actually sold off at a loss and through all sorts of insider deals and uh, dodgy fraud. Welcome to the Fair Food Forager and Friends Show, a podcast where we mostly talk about the environment and our health and how they interact with each other, but also some things that you won't hear in the mainstream media. So let's investigate what else is happening, let's hear some alternate views, and let's make up our own minds. Fair Food Forager. Changing the way the world eats by making ethical easy. <laughs> that sounds like a very good idea. Fair Food Forager. of the Fair Food Forager and Friends Show, the podcast brought to you by the Fair Food Forager app, the world's only ethical social media and sustainable food directory. So you can use this food directory when you're on the road to find ethical and sustainable food. Cafes, restaurants, farmers, markets, bulk food stores who are reducing the impact on the planet by reducing waste, food waste, plastic waste, sourcing locally, finding organics, anything like that and you can also share posts recipes food that you're growing your appreciation of nature your bushwalk your beach cleaner anything that helps each other and the planet on today's podcast i'm once again talking to tony gosling and i'm interrupting the little series i have with michael wallach on the viral delusion to talk to tony live from the bilderberg conference in portugal for 2023 And as you remember, Tony is a massive wealth of knowledge, remembers all the names and history of these type of elite groups who have basically formed to control the world. And Tony talks about some of the people that might be attending, some of the things that come from past Bilderberg meetings and what they may have on the agenda for this week's our discussion on how they control our lives that include war uh, sending all of us broke and which politicians they will install in government next so i encourage you to check out his website bilderberg.org to get more of the story and get some of his books as well so without further ado here is tony gosling (laughs) 
Tony Gosling, welcome again to the Fair Food Forager and Friends show. How are you? All right, very well, thank you. Um, so, Paul, <laughs> so, uh, well, you joined, you know, we, we're, we're getting together just before this um, 2023 Bilderberg conference and uh, over in Lisbon, I think the Portuguese journalists have done a fantastic job this year in literally sniffing them down, hunting them down. And uh, so we've got quite a good, um, well, n knowing a lot about the security um, several days before it convenes this week uh, on the 17th of May, 2023. And it's going to be a lot of security at the hotel. Uh, several road closures um so just you know that's the sort of basics in lisbon and uh, i would just encourage anybody if they hear this to just get over to lisbon you know because this is where the world's fate about decided so maybe you know you can ask me about that but these are you know i think we what we got to do to understand what the significance of this meeting is go back to Washington last year. I mean, obviously, you can go right the way back and look at all the history of the Bilderberg, including the enormous amount of evidence of um, this being really a, essentially a Nazi project in collaboration with the Allies at the end of the war. Uh, so, you know, there was all this, all these kind of statements at the end of World War II. Uh, General Patton coming out quite openly and saying, you know, let's just go and uh, attack Russia, uh, the Soviet Union, as it was at the time. Let's just plough onto Moscow. Uh, then he had a nasty little car crash. We also have Winston Churchill trying to get onto any live programme on the BBC uh, in the late 1940s, saying how important it was to use these newfound nuclear weapons to obliterate Moscow, um, and having to be kept off uh, any live programs on the BBC as a result, as he was, of course, before he became famous and before he became Prime Minister the 1930s. Churchill, although he was making a lot of fuss about Adolf Hitler, was kept well away from the microphones um, until um, appeasement was over, until he became Prime Minister in 1940. So, uh, you know, a lot of connection with the Nazis, a connection with Russophobia. Last year they put the, um, the Ukraine issue at the bottom of the agenda in a rather cheeky fashion. Of course, it's the top agenda. It's the most important uh, item that the Bilderbergers are uh, in because, as we know about their involvement in the Iraq war, the, uh, uh, the Yugoslav uh, breakup of the Balkanization of the Balkans, if you want, uh, the dis destruction of Yugoslavia, um, all these things, which are geopolitical, that uh, the Bilderbergers have been involved in, in one way or another. And you know, it's you know, if, if you go back through, I can remember uh, two thousand and two. What do you mean you, you're going to be in attacking Iraq? What what you know? These were the leaks coming out of the conferences, and of course, the 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 rest is history. So this is a, a military alliance. It's really a kind of political wing of NATO. Over the years, they have been pushing for specific people to be um, heads of state, prime ministers, etc. Now, I think it's 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 impossible to become a, a um, either a prime minister or a head of state in in the political world in the NATO countries without 
the Bilderbergers' approval. So their favourite trick is to just make sure that whoever the two rival parties are, that they control both. I think it's also really interesting looking at this uh, this weekend's uh, Turkish elections, and it certainly looks as if um, uh, Richard Type Erdogan is going to be the new. He's going to re- be re-elected. Um, so that means that Turkey will be straddling the the East-West divide between Russia and NATO. Uh, whereas if the opposition had done very well, then we would have it would have been a bit a little bit maybe well not not quite like the Nazi Ukraine, but but it would have been more rapprochement with NATO. It's a very interesting situation that, that, that the Turks are in, and it, I mean so Bilderberg just in a nutshell is the is the um, really the political wing of NATO, and I used to think of it as the lobby really, but it isn't now. It's the the people there are absolutely. Solid, and this was always the mission of Bilderberg since the 1950s, to put their people in power in in Europe, particularly. Uh, and it it's a US British led thing with a lot of Germans involved, a lot of ex Nazis, um, p- uh, p- bowled up at the very first Bilderberg meetings with their um, you know not suits on and everything, hoping that no one would be able to trace the role that they'd had in World War Two, including confiscation of Jewish wealth, um, the, the financial direction, the propaganda ministry, um, all the anti-Semitic and other anti-Slavic, the, the racist lies that went with this whole Nazi mythology promulgated by the people at the original Bilderberg conferences, um, and which was dug out by a guy called Manfred Petrich. He, he was... Um, he was... Uh, uh, he ran a thing called the All Smoke and Mirrors blog, and some of his old posts are still there, but he died about a year and a bit ago. And uh, he, he was one of the people we used to love meeting with at Bilderberg, so sad he's no longer around. But his German language critique was some of the best in the world of what um, these guys are up to. And he was absolutely clear about this being a Nazi operation, a Fourth Reich operation. And uh, so am I. You know, In fact, I've done a book about that, which is looking at the... Um, it's called The Traitors of Arnhem, um, Martin Borman and the Bilderberg Group, and looking at building on the work, really, of, uh, of Paul Manning, this former CBS journalist who the author of Martin Borman, Nazi in Exile, and uh, the other author is John Ainsworth Davis, uh, a.k.a. Christopher Crichton, the author of Op JB, who really just put together the story of what happened at the end of the war with the British... Um, uh, Major Desmond Morton, who was uh, head of um, economic warfare between the First and Second World Wars, then became, well, he was a, also uh, aide-de-camp to uh, General Haig in World War One, who was in charge, in charge of the British Army in the trenches in the First World War, in the Cousins' War uh, between the three cousins, Kaiser Wilhelm, Saar, Nicholas, uh, George, the, oh gosh, George V, that's right, of course, in England. So, so uh, Desmond Morton, uh, the private secretary to Winston Churchill, dealing directly um, with Martin Bormann, private secretary to Adolf Hitler, really from the middle of 1944 to the end of the war, and doing these deals to make, you know, basically for safe passage for senior, very wealthy Nazis, uh, who were basically gangsters. I mean, they didn't really have that ideology necessarily, except you know, when it suited their purposes, like Borman and his, uh, you know, 
anti-Semitism during the war, which was he was one of the people pushing far more for extermination of Jews. And uh, yeah, at the end of the war, well, he didn't really care about that anymore. Uh, it was time for him to come back to the UK, and he did that with the aid of Ian Fleming. This is all written about in Op JB, the uh, last great secret of the Second World War. And uh, and then we pass on to looking at um, Paul Manning's book, as I mentioned, Martin Borman, Nazi in Exile, where you can see him sitting over in in South America, uh, setting up these 750 companies, laundering the loot from Switzerland with the help of Borman, obviously the signatory of the bank accounts, uh, through Sullivan and Cromwell's law firm, uh, the Dulles Brothers law firm in New York, New York, and, uh, and then creating a Fourth Reich, basically uh, putting Jews in in charge of many of these companies to disguise the fact that they were uh, that it was Nazi money behind them, and that it was effectively a Nazi Fourth Reich project. So uh, anyway, so you got it in a nutshell there. Uh, but nowadays, uh, the most the key thing to understand is the um, the link between the attack on the Nord Stream pipeline uh, last year in 2022, uh, which uh, was ball, ball tops two exercise, which began the day Bilderberg finished uh, <coughs> in Washington. Uh, in 22. So, uh, you know, don't tell me there's, <laughs> there's no good. Jake Sullivan was there, national security advisor to Sleepy Joe, uh, and able to pull out, pull the woolly thinks over everybody's eyes. In fact, when he appears at the White House briefings, Jake Sullivan is telling everyone about how the Russians lie. Well, uh, you know, you are lying to through your teeth, mate, and uh, you, you know exactly what who, who blew up the pipeline. It wasn't the Russians. Uh, it wasn't the Russians attacking the Kremlin either, you know, it's you. And with him is, um, uh, I think it's James Baker from uh, the Office of Net Assessments, all the main people, including the CIA boss, who would be behind uh, the Nord Stream pipeline, and in fact, who were, according to Cy Hirsch, behind it, were there at Bilderberg in Washington last year. So God knows what they're up to this year, you know, whatever fun and games they think they're going to have to try and get a third world war started. And and to kill more Ukrainians in this, like, blood sacrifice that's going on um, with more and more weapons being... I mean, I noticed just this week uh, and a a clear announcement um, by the British that they are absolutely are sending depleted uranium um, weapons to Ukraine. Well, this is no good for Ukraine uh, because it means that the Ukrainians uh, in the future um, will have... Uh, intergenerational birth defects down the line. You know, there's some horrific, horrific birth defects that happen when you ha- spray this ash from depleted uranium around the country and it drifts around, it goes into the soil, it gets into the food, and you find some sort of strange half-living, non-living creature coming out instead of a, a newborn child from... Um, this is the British gift to the Ukrainians uh, and so-called helping the Ukrainian war effort. So so that's why it's important, I think, to get down to these Bilderberg conferences and um, uh, just to keep an eye on, on the secret government because we don't really have any form of democracy left in Europe. These guys have made sure about that. Uh, and over the years, they've, they have been making sure that their people get put in. I think ultimately um, a lot of Freemasonry involves as various ways in which, I mean, for example, the main guy that organised uh, the 98 
conference was the private secretary to the Duke of Kent, who's Grand Master United Grand Lodge, you know, the, the number one lodge in the UK, some would say the world, uh, cousin to the Queen, as she then was, you know, great uncle now to King Charles. And the aristocracy are there, the banksters are there, the media are there, they don't write about it. And if they do, then, you know, then uh, it will be a twisted kind of version and making some sort of joke about how people think that they rule the world. Well, they control most of the money in the Western world, these people. You've got Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, all the all the top people in there. Um, and uh, people like Larry Fink, you know, he's the sort of guy that would show up. We don't know. Ah, just one thing this year. Uh, apparently Yuval Noah Harari is hanging around in Lisbon this weekend. Uh, whether he's going to drop in on the Bilderberg conference, he might even be on the guest list, who knows? But uh, it's exactly the sort of thing that would suit him, and he's the kind of person that would be invited. Uh, so there's my little sort of introduction. I don't know if you've got some questions, but I think that's, you know, it's quite clear. This is the power centre in the West. It's connected in with the military. It's uh, manipulating our politics uh sting operations to get rid of people like boris example run by these sorts of people so now that instead of boris who we elected here in britain we've got somebody called rishi sunak who uh he's got a kind of funny look in his eye that you know i don't think anyone can really trust him he's working for the city of london he's not working for the people who elected him and uh he's been placed in that job and we've just heard a whole succession of uh policies which are not working because he doesn't want them to work because the city doesn't want them to work because they're they're pushing back against this sort of anti-globalist brexit which was you know this uh trying to really i suppose dishearten people and say well brexit wasn't really possible rather like um rather like uh oh, gosh what was his name uh he's uh Habsburg, that's right otto von Habsburg. Um, he's, I think he's Otto von Habsburg. Anyway, the current head of the Habsburg uh, aristoc- aristocratic family uh, saying that um, Brexit is like a uh, watching Brexit is like watching a reality TV show, watching the Brits try to leave. And in his, in his mind, anyway, it's impossible for them to leave, and they know it's impossible, and they can stop them leaving, however the British people vote. Uh, and um, so. I mean, that was the last one I went to was in Dresden, uh, 2016, which is just before the Brexit vote. And actually chatting to some of the Bilderbergers when they came out and about on the Saturday, uh, that th- that was the one word that would send them sort of uh, get them very annoyed. In fact, it would it's almost like send a shiver down them when you say the word. What do you think about Brexit? Well, we don't talk about that, you know. A bit like mentioning Princess Diana in the company of king charles i suppose these are the things that they don't like thinking about they're bits of history which they wish which had never happened and um so that's their attitude they they these are the the people who think they own and run the world and to a large extent if you look at ownership of property they you know they in some to certain respects they do i have more than one question i have a thousand questions from that uh the portuguese media have been onto it i think most people wouldn't even be aware that this is happening. And if, as you say, there's people like Larry Fink, are there politicians at Bilderberg as well in general? 
Well, yeah, but yes, I mean, what happens is you're up and coming, you know, people that the Bilderbergers want to be the the next succession succession of leaders. I mean, uh, we've got, for example, Tom Tugendhat here in Britain from the Tories. We've also got uh, David Lammy from the Labour Party, who's being sort of groomed as a leader. I think, uh, I don't know if people saw it, but uh, Tucker Carlson's speech to the Heritage Foundation, I thought was fantastic the other week. You know, he's obviously just been sacked. Probably um, an out of court part of the out of court settlement with the Dominion voting machines, and of course they are one of the most evil companies on the planet. I'm quite happy to say that. You know the idea of uh, electronic elections that you can so called trust. I mean, obviously you can't. Uh, but but he was talking about how in Washington, so many of the people he li- he meets who are heads of these various Washington institutions, thinks tanks, past political parties, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, uh, Banks, God knows what, but anyway, they they're all come across as they're they're, they're fake. The people are fake. They're, and uh, and he was he says something about the guy from the Heritage Foundation was one of the only people he met in Washington who didn't come across like that. Now he's he may be buttering him up, but I know exactly what he means. I mean, we've got a whole bunch of people who've been putting that position as a as a leader of an organisation because they're pliable and they will do as they're told. Well, those aren't leaders, are they? They're they're followers. But what are they following? So what they're following is the money. The money is, uh, yeah, so that's what they want, and they're prepared to sell their souls to the devil in order to keep keep their money and keep their, their, their income. And they look around, they see the homeless, and they think, God, I don't want to end up like that. You know, so up until the Thatcher era in Britain, we didn't really have street homeless at all. You know, everyone was looked after one way, means or another. But bit by bit, these privatizers the rockefellers the the rothschilds have been chipping away at uh, the our welfare state at, our, at the mixed economy and now we've got this war raging with uh, in ukraine with the russians which isn't really anything to do with ukraine it's two different systems fighting it's a it's a mixed economy uh, system where the government owns and controls the infrastructure and runs it uh, pretty much at cost for the public. Uh, okay, so there are a few exceptions to that, but basically it, it's infrastructure government. You know, the government makes sure the railways run, the water runs. Uh, and in the West now, we've just got rampant finance capitalism where the political parties, the press, the infrastructure is all been uh, uh, up for sale and uh, to the highest bidder and sometimes uh, actually sold off at a loss and through all sorts of insider deals and uh, dodgy fraud, you know. So so that's, that's really what's going on in Ukraine, I think, is, and this is pointed out by Michael Hudson, uh, that, that you've got a mixed economy on the East versus Europe's finance capitalists. And uh, so I think, you know, that it, it was putting this all in context is what I'm trying to do. Um, and trying to show that the politicians really now are owned, utterly owned in the West. There's very, very few, if any. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was one that started to sort of emerge, but he was a bit of a bumbler and he didn't realise that he was a, you know, he needed to be a shark to survive in the shark's pond. So, uh, you know, he was kind of gobbled up, but uh, there are very, very few around, um, you know, certainly in the West. I think, you know, Erdogan has shown he can survive a coup. He's also shown, I think, looks like this week, that he can probably win the election to keep his country independent from uh, NATO. But they are doing everything they can, of course, particularly with the interlinked nuclear 
her weapons and the air base, the American air base in in uh, in Turkey. To there is a lot of pressure on Turkey to just simply join uh, the security structure of the West, the politics, the money of the West. Um, so yeah, they will be trying something on, no doubt. Uh, like Nord Stream, maybe more. Uh, but they they want they definitely want this war to continue because all the time the war in Ukraine is continuing, they're able to to supply more weapons, bigger weapons, uh, longer range weapons. So then the Russians have to uh, draw another line uh, further into Ukraine and move forward. So they have they have um, created a, the perfect, in their view, uh, springboard for a third world war in in um, in Ukraine, and that's absolutely what they're hell bent on. Someone like Jeremy Corbyn, he was starting to become a favourite of the people. Is is that correct? So, the, but he was kind of alone in in calling out some of this stuff. So you, you're never going to survive unless you have a movement behind you against this well, sort he, of I power. Mean, to a certain extent, he did. I mean, he had a political party behind him. He had a massive political movement behind him. When he turned up, it was like a rock star here in Bristol. You know, thousands of people came out to see him. Uh, his political rivals, if they were to turn out like that, you'd get maybe a handful, you know, mm. so of, of loyal robot soldiers. No, he did have a very big political movement, but he just didn't have the nous to, to uh, crush his most vociferous political critics, including people who were openly saying they were doing their best to undermine him with his, within his own party. Of course, he should have expelled them immediately. He can't allow that sort of thing to be going on. But he was just too nice a guy. He wasn't really fitted for leadership, um, you know, except in some kind of heavenly context where uh, where you can do that kind of thing and sort of hold hands and do kumbaya with people who are saying that they're your enemy. So he wasn't really up to the job, to be honest. And, and you know, and, and after the Brexit vote, even though his instinct was with Tony Benn and people like that to be anti-EU, the, the boss's club, he compromised that and said, "Oh well, maybe we'll have a second referendum," which lost him millions of votes from the Labour side. Uh, to the, to the who then voted for the Tories. This is now um, mostly in the north of England, the Tory red wall seats up there, uh, and. Uh, he also failed to deal with all these accusations, false and fake accusations of anti-Semitism. He didn't really deal with those people because he should have gotten rid of some of these Jewish individuals who were throwing these uh, fake accusations around, like Margaret Hodge uh, in London, the, the MP. Um, she should have been kicked out of the party for making fake allegations about him being anti-Semitic. I mean, how can you how can you have somebody who's just throwing mud around at you uh, and I think he was just afraid of the Jewish issue. He didn't necessarily maybe understand it very well. Of course, the reason they were doing that was nothing to do with him being anti-Semitic. It was because he was supporting the Palestinians, quite rightly. And so he just he wasn't up to the job, unfortunately. He was the rock star that couldn't quite get that final, you know, chord in the riff and or, you know, hit the right notes. Uh, so he managed to pull the crowds in, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't entirely his fault, but he needed to be a bit of a stronger, uh, more single-minded character in order to... And also, I don't think he really understood human nature. He didn't understand the extent to which it was a kind of battle between good and evil rather than, uh, you know, his his mission was to defeat the dark forces and the evil ones rather than to just sort of get everyone in the Labour Party sitting around singing Kumbaya. And now we're in this situation where the Nord Stream pipeline was 
blown up the day after Bilderberg 2022 is well, completed. Well, it wasn't quite the day. No, it was the operation that, that, that mm. where the uh, mines were planted at was began the day Bilderberg finished last year. So it would have been a few days afterwards. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, that's Cy Hirsch has revealed that, and I don't think the Bilderbergers would be too happy. They, you know, they... They don't want people to realise that this is these are the sorts of people that are there, and of course that's why they have to meet face to face. They couldn't do it on Zoom because they're plotting and planning criminal acts that could lead to the deaths of millions of people, uh, and all to sort of further their own aims. And one has to wonder what they, exactly they are. I think <clears throat> you have to look at um, uh, this out letter from Albert Pike back in eighteen seventy one to see the long-term geopolitical plan, first of all, to create the State of Israel, to get the Ottomans out of the way, to to get the Zionist state formed, which the Rockefellers, particularly Nelson Rockefeller, was very instrumental in, as John Loftus uh, talks about in his book, The Secret War on the Jews. In fact, I'm not even sure if it's in his book. He he did tell me in an interview about it. But, um, yeah, so... Then you've got the plan of the plan is the war in the Middle East, but a bigger war between China and America. Basically, the same cults, you know, the triads or uh, Masons controlling both China and America. The Russians sort of standing on the sidelines, which is why they don't want them standing on the sidelines, which is why they're being attacked now. Um, And the debacle in the Middle East between. Uh, mainly between the Iranians and the Israelis. So the idea is to create this massive religious war that turns into an, a global Third World War. Just look at Albert Pike and his letter. This is really what's, what he's talking about. And the idea is to create this religious, in big inverted commas, war that turns everybody off of religion. And uh, and then, of course, you get a kind of atheism. And if, to fill that gap, the Luciferian... Um, religion comes along. That was Albert Pike's plan, and it does certainly seem to be what's unfolding before our eyes. What's the best way to understand the Jewish part in this? Because you, you hear, you know, it's the Jews, and then, as you say, the the Nazis took some of the the wealth that was stolen from Europe and went to South America, and then Jewish was set up as uh, leaders of some of these companies to throw the scent off. So it's a it's a different the Jews who are running you can't even say that word can you that that are running these uh, the the most powerful companies in the world they're not the ones who were the victims of the Holocaust they're not saying not the same religion is that correct no well look, 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 okay so they I think that well there are subtle differences obviously the many Jews. Who are Zionists identify with the suffering uh, under the Nazis, but really Hitler's mission, just as the anti-Islamic um, people today, is to eliminate the. I mean, in the, it, with the Jews, it was the European rabbinic tradition, the idea of these kind of learned people that knew what was going on, that had been there since the dawn of time, and understood right from wrong the origins of humanity, the destiny of humanity. Uh, and that, those are the ones they wanted to wipe out because the 
the many of the Jews we have today, of course, are secular Jews, which is a bizarre concept, really. And they're not even Middle Eastern, are they? I mean, you know, look at just look at the European Jews, for example. I mean, obviously, there were many that converted who are Europeans. Creating a Jewish homeland is a bit of a misnomer when the people who are coming there are obviously not from that part of the world. Uh, so I think the best way of understanding it, it's a really good question, but the best way to understand it is many Jews are, are, are into this idea. I mean, this is an Old Testament idea, not a New Testament idea of going back to the land that God gave them. Fine. But then you get Neturi Carter and other Jewish organizations, Orthodox, who, who say, no, you know, this is the wrong thing to do. This isn't what God is telling us to do. It's not what the Bible's saying at all. It's saying that we should be dispersed. We should just continue as a diaspora. So, you know, there's lots of contention there. But then when things really start kicking off in the Middle East, many of those Jews are going to start thinking, well, I'm, many of them already are. What are we doing here? It's almost like uh, uh, a trap. And um, at which point, as we've seen ever since the beginning of 2023, we've seen many, many Jews coming out on the streets uh, complaining that that um, their prime minister is a dictator and they don't want a dictator for a prime minister. They want a learned rabbi or somebody like that. And actually, all they, what they've got in, in Netanyahu again and many of the other leaders, including people who are even more extreme than him, is a bunch of either fanatics or actually terrorists, people that worked in the um, special forces uh, in Israel. So they haven't got the learned types. So this, I think, is going to cause an enormous cataclysm in Israel, um, you know, between the people who've come there thinking what they're doing is doing the right thing and that they do have some biblical belief. Of course, many, many don't. Uh, and they've created this kind of racist state now. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, many of the people who would have been kicking off right now against what's going on in Israel are dead, of course. Uh, you know, died in concentration camps, died in labour camps. That was all quite deliberate to try and replace the Jews of Europe with a kind of Zionist fake version. And, of course, many of them aren't even really in any way religious at all. So, you know, you've seen a similar thing with Islam, with the creation of th things like Al-Nusra Front, Al-Qaeda, uh, with these madrasas where people have been being taught a very extreme fake version of, of Islam. And probably, you know, with the Christian Zionists, you could say a similar thing about them. There's been an attempt to sort of seed, with lots of money involved, uh, fake versions of these religions to get, you know, real hatred going between them in order to create this kind of third world war cataclysm. The other thing, important thing to say about all that is Tim Cohen's book, The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, does identify Prince Charles as, well, now King Charles, obviously, as someone who will play a role as a peacemaker in a future war because of his connections with uh, the Davidic line in Judaism and particularly with the Hash Hashemic, I think it is, line in uh, in Islam, uh, to sort of be the person that steps forward and says, let's have peace, where, of course, this is, you know, this is a war of partly of his creation in the first place. So that's exactly the sort of uh, antichrist figure that we might expect to see in the future. I listened to that interview you did, The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, uh, and it was it was just fascinating and mind-boggling at the same time. Uh, and 
Well, I think, you know, we've got to start looking at, I mean, there is some contention about the book of Revelation, obviously. A lot of Muslims think it was, it's kind of a plan against them, you know, but actually what I think it really, it's really doing is, is speaking to God's people now, uh, saying, well, if and when these events take place, well, not if, but when these events take place, look at the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you will understand what's going on. Um, and is it the, the, um, the first four of the seven seals in Revelation, uh, you've got the white horse, uh, the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse. So, you know, the white one is, is some kind of figure, apparently. I mean, it's difficult to know, isn't it? But the the, the red horse is definitely uh, a really kind of serious war breaks out. Um, the black horse is, is uh, financial system collapses, so people can't, you know, haven't got anything, any money to buy food. So good idea to go and get yourself some land and start growing some food, folks. And um, the final one is disease. So, you know, try not to get uh, – try and make sure your immune system is, you know, toughened up. So, you yeah, know, that's the idea is that when these things start to unfold, that people will know what's going on. At least people in the know will know or people of, uh, you know, have ever read their Bible will know. Uh, so – I mean, you know, I think ultimately it's ultimately satanic, the Bilderberg thing, um, just as Freemason is. And I think it's important also to to look at the origins of China as it now is, communist China. There's a sort of a similar thing that's happened to uh, uh, Russia in the Russian Revolution um, in that this, a lot of this was uh, U.S., uh, is it Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, Anthony Sutton's book? And look at what happened with uh, Mao in China. That was uh, it, between the wars. This is funded by uh, um, Yale University. Had a whole faculty, well, not a faculty, but a whole group of uh, uh, at Yale. It was called Yale in China. Was funding Mao's bookshops, making sure that his little communist letters went all over the place. So they created that revolution, I think, and they're now in control. Another important figure is, I think, anyway, is the um, uh, apart from Yuval Noah Harari and this this kind of philosophy of accelerationism, is this guy I went to school with years ago, Nick Land. I mean, he's he's um, he was a, a really nice, but actually, you know, good mate. He was great fun to hang out with, very knowledgeable, dark sense of humour, typical like you know, fourteen year old school kids, and uh, he's now uh, over in Shanghai, the financial centre in China. And um, his philosophy, he's, he's basically the father of accelerationism, the idea of getting all these crises going. But it's quite obvious. If you look at what's happened with COVID, if you look at what's happened with Ukraine, uh, if, if you look at what's happened with the migrant crisis, uh, if you look at what's happened with the economy, the so-called solutions which are being decided, you know, not by anybody we've ever elected, are all making things worse. And this is Nick's idea. You know, this is, well, I say it's only his idea, but, uh, you know, his he's, uh, accelerationism is creating a sort of multiple, multi-crisis um, in order to precipitate the destruction of society. So the only person I can see who's done a really good critique of all of this is Keith van der Peel, or Keith van der Peel, uh, and his, uh, his book, uh, which is recently out, which names, whose name escapes me. I'm not sure if you can remember. Uh, oh, States of Emergency, that's right. Mm. And um, he's explaining that, well, they know they're taking over and they know we're going to be pissed off about it, so they're going to make sure they control the opposition 
to them. Uh, so anyway, that's in a nutshell, I think, a sort of pre-Bilderberg uh, chit-chat. If you've got one last question, I've just about got time if you want. So you have a list or you have a list coming of the guest list of this Bilderberg group, but but one thing I find... Well, I'll put it up there, yeah. One thing I find fascinating is how obvious something like the Nord Stream pipeline is, but yet we have, uh, and and people are starting to talk about these groups like Bilderberg and the World Economic Forum and the Club of Rome, and an awareness is growing. And then we're seeing too big to fail banks continuously closing in on everything and everything being further centralised. And then Harari talking about the um, hacking of the of the human brain, and so the awareness is growing, and the obviousness of things like uh, the Nord Stream pipeline uh, happening. But but then the media is just the only thing they have now is oh that's crazy, and even Cy Hirsch is now sidelined as one of the best journalists in history, and he's a crackhead now because. He he states the obvious. It I just don't know yeah, where do we go from. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Because look, as Manfred Petrich would say, were he sitting with us still, and he, I would seriously suggest you track down. I mean, on Radio Four, etc. Some of the old interviews I've done with him before he died. He'd say that is for the stupid people, and. I mean, we've got this sort of underclass that's been forced by the press. Actually, quite a lot of people don't really believe it anymore. They know not to believe it. The the purpose of the press, which is lying the whole time, is to just disengage people from everything that's going on. And so these people hopefully can get away with whatever it is they want to do by lying and lying. Mm. And um, there's many, many people now, I think, are watching what they see and thinking, well, this doesn't really make sense. Um, it's It's getting quite fragile their their grip on people's hearts and minds anyway uh so there are plenty of people that understand something quite a lot bigger is going on um and don't trust that mass media anymore in fact don't even watch it particularly the young people and i think i remember this is just during the whole covid thing uh having a conversation with a young lad just got off this bus from school and um i said what do you think's going he said well it's just a game isn't it mm-hmm. And I think that people can see that we are being played and there are various ways to do it through through your job, you know, through your house, your rent, your interest rates. I mean, this is amazing that they're putting up interest rates and saying, oh, we're trying to do it to bring down inflation. No, you're not. You're doing it to increase everybody's overheads so that the economy is going to collapse. People can't pay their bills. It's going to cause even more inflation. You know, you've got unlimited profits for the oil companies, which is also causing enormous inflation on moving goods and services around, you know. So uh, everything that's being told to us pretty much now is, uh, you know, the analysis anyway of what's going on is a lie. And um, so that that's, I think, not working it's not going to work it doesn't work particularly with older people who've seen a few things in their lifetimes and the younger people who just know it's rubbish and so they're getting increasingly desperate uh ultimately you know this is this there's going to be a reckoning and the i think let's maybe just wind up with this thought is that these maniacs um are ultimately satanic group in the west in the nato countries 
what they've decided to do is take on both the Russians and their own people at the same time. Mm. And that's the arrogance that they've, that, that there's no way they can win. No way. So if they'd have, they have to deal with one before they can deal with the other. So they're going to, they're, they're on a hiding to nothing, Paul. Mm. And that, that, you know, it's going to get worse. It's going to get difficult. It's going to get hellish. But at the end of the day, uh, the truth will win. Um, it's impossible for it not to, because they're, they're, delu- they're, they have delusions about their own abilities. I mean, look at the seven countries in five years and all that stuff. You know, no, 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 it's not going to happen. So uh, it seems to me these people have got this co- a kind of death trip, death wish. In fact, there's a very good article about Nick Land and his uh, accelerationism and the death trip. I'm not quite sure who wrote it, but I was reading that the other day thinking, yeah, and of course Nick was into acid. I wouldn't say that I didn't go anywhere near the stuff at all. But, um, you know, this is back in back in uh, the 1970s. Um, but so we, we've got to, I think, understand that something pretty serious is going to happen, but that, you know, put your arms around your kids and explain to them it's actually really about good and evil and it's about, you know, the spiritual health of mankind, and it's probably a good idea to go and visit your local church and make fr- make friends and make contact with uh, people of a like mind, because things are going to get only going to get rougher and tougher over the next few years, and the Bilderbergers are going to make sure of that. Mm. Thanks so much, Tony, for uh, giving me your time at. 1am in the morning well, over there why, in that's, Portugal. Well, that's why, we, that's why I think it's an important place to go to and comment on and do a little, little bit of, you know, find out what we can from the hotel staff, whatever, that sort of thing, in order to uh, tell the world what these guys are up to. Mm. Um, because, you know, the Russians have just decided, well, that we can't deal with them anymore. We've now got the ability to beat them in a, in a war, so uh, why should we even bother to... Um, I mean, they're not. They, you make a deal with them, the Minsk Agreement, and what do they do? They just use it to buy time, and then they carry on killing people and they break the agreement. This this agreement was guaranteed by the Germans and the French, and yet it was never ever honoured. So how can how can the Russians make deals with people like that? Um, they they've got to the point where they're they're thinking, well, there's no point in dealing with these guys. We're going to have to fight them, and of course that's what. I'm afraid the Russians, I think, should actually make a bit more of an effort to uh, uh, put out peace feelers. But they've, uh, you know, it's, it's up to them. And they've just decided, well, look, we've, we're not getting anywhere with the peace. So uh, we're going to have to fight them. I'm, I really admire Lavrov, actually. I think he's one of the world's greatest ever chess players. But anyway, you can follow my stuff at Bilderberg.org. You can download my book all about Bormann and the Fourth Reich and the Bilderberg Origins. Uh, there and um, pick up the radio show uh, Fridays at five at thisweek.org.uk. The stream is talkradio.org.uk and um, hopefully stay informed. All right, Paul. Thanks a lot, Tony. And I'll include all those in the show notes so people can follow your reports from Bilderberg. God bless. And don't let the banksters get you down, man. (laughs) Thanks, Tony. There's some positive stuff in there. Thank you. Yes, certainly is. All right, cheers.
Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. And as you remember, Tony is a massive wealth of knowledge. So uh, thanks again for this little impromptu podcast. It was 1am where he was when we recorded this. So I can't believe he has that sort of a memory for names and historical events that he can remember that at one o'clock in the morning. So thanks again. And please check out his website, Bilderberg.org, where you can find some of his writings his books and get a bit of a gist of what's going on because it's really important that we inform ourselves and at least have an awareness of what's happening so that possibly we can have a jump on what they have in store for us. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to download the Fair Food Forager app. It's also here to help you find ethical and sustainable food and food that is organic, local, supporting small businesses, reduced plastic packaging, anything really to help support you and the planet. And you can share good news stories, learn from each other, and just feel good for a change about the future and what we can do to help each other and the planet. If you enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe where you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review it, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, and share it with your friends. Thanks again to Ash Grunwald. This song is River from the album Now. Until next time, bye. We live together and everybody live downstream. Yeah.